but the point of the jagged frontier is it's not a clean line what exactly this technology can support well and in areas where it is um, in its strength it can have significant uh, material impacts but those are non-uniform impacts depending on the staff using it and if you get out beyond its capabilities which are hard to know in advance and hard to know without rigorous testing, uh, you can actually degrade performance. This is AI for Leaders by AI Leaders. Practical, to-the-point content helping you drive results with AI. Here's Chris and Frank. Hi, welcome to the AI Leadership Podcast. I'm Frank Strickland. I'm Chris Whitlock. To our community out there, we apologize that we have had a long break in publishing pod episodes. We realize that's not a best practice. Uh, we promise to do better on our schedule going into the fall here. Uh, but it's been a very busy summer for us, Chris. Um, we have done a lot of training. You want to say a word just of introduction about the training that we've been doing? Uh, it has been... Uh several hundred, uh, more than 500 executives, government and industry uh, in sessions around uh, AI with an emphasis expectedly, uh, given this past year on generative AI. And a great reflection of earnest interest, a lot of people that really want to understand better so they can make good decisions regarding the development of this or deployment in their enterprises. Yeah, so Chris, um, we'll come back to that just real quick on a personal note. Uh, it is also summer and we are retired. Um, people sometimes ask us, are you retired? And they put that in air quotes. Um, we've gotten a good number of questions about retirement. Uh, we promise uh, we are going to do uh, probably a series of episodes. It'll probably take more than one on retirement just our perspectives and our lessons learned because we've gotten some very earnest uh, questions uh, to include. I got some on the golf course uh, uh, last week um, and sometimes some very sober, um, almost anxious concerns from people, not anxious about financial because most of these are executives, senior leaders, and, and they're not concerned about their financial portfolios, but they're concerned about other elements of their life in retirement. Um, but one thing we would say uh, for now is uh, we took some time in the summer uh, just to focus uh, on fun and stuff that we wanted to do that uh, had nothing to do with AI. What would you say, Chris, is one of the highlights of your summer this year? Uh, family time. Yeah, family time would be uh, one of those and, and getting uh, days in, in Florida with family and Atlanta. Uh, it's funny, Chris, you and I sometimes use the uh, digital compression SAB that stands everybody for separated at birth. Chris and I have been working together for over three decades, have a lot of commonality. And so uh, sometimes we are on exactly the same wavelength. We did not rehearse this, but his reference to Florida would have been the highlight that I would have mentioned. Um, we got caught in a bad storm uh, flying to Florida and uh, got diverted from the place we were going to go, which your parents' location, uh, we got diverted into Tampa, 
Uh, it was it was a long and laborious flight of boring holes in the sky and eventually being diverted to Tampa. And How to turn we, a two-hour trip into seven. <laughs> exactly. And uh, then we get to Tampa, and there are no rental cars to be had. So we are, we are looking at a several hundred-dollar Uber trip, if we can get an Uber, uh, to move toward your parents' house. Um, and I don't remember her name, and we probably wouldn't share a name if, if I could, but I there was yeah. good Samaritan woman uh, who comes up to these, you know, two dudes, you know, one six five, one six three, both well in excess of two hundred pounds. She just comes up to us at the airport and offers us a ride because we were going in the direction of her home, and she got us to within about twenty minutes of our destination. So, she was great. Yeah, she was blessings great. on that woman. Blessings on that woman. However. Uh, for my daughters, I don't want you to be picking up two strange dudes in an airport. No, uh, Nunca, we have none of that. But yeah, great summer. So Chris, the training content, as you mentioned, had a heavy dose of generative AI and LLMs. It had a section on AI strategy beyond LLMs. And then it had a, a section on overseeing AI quality. And And we kind of tailored that to the different audiences, as you said, both government and industry. And that dialogue with those 500 plus executives left us with some observations that we wanted to share with our community. So let's just, let's start with LLMs. What would be one of the observations from the dialogue that we had uh, with senior executives uh, on LLMs that you- Yeah, I was share? just reflecting. I, I would say maybe one of the more significant from the spring into the summer was just understanding uh, where people have misimpressions of what this technology does. And there are a variety of ways to implement it, a variety of ways it becomes manifest, but there are some fundamentals that if you misunderstand can take you down a bad applications path. And I think that was a big one. Um, the other thing that I, I would say, Frank, uh, for me, maybe the, the most important out of the summer is you're trying to get this balanced view of what the capability can do uh, in an enterprise and around mission problems. But it's not easy right now. And research across a wide range of areas is emphasizing this. As a matter of fact, there's one that sums it up nicely. It's a Harvard study that was done in concert with Boston Consulting Group, BCG. But they talk about this concept of the jagged frontier. Mm, this, about, is really, this is really important for yeah, our community, we'd suggest, yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. And that study is really worthwhile, rigorously executed, as you would expect, um, coming from a group of Harvard uh, researchers and academicians. It, it was really well done, the study design and then the execution with, with BCG. But the point of the jagged frontier is it's not a clean line what exactly this technology can support well. And in areas where it is um, in its strength, it can have significant uh, material impacts but those are non-uniform impacts, depending on mm. the staff using it. And if you get out beyond its capabilities, which are hard 
to know in advance and hard to know without rigorous testing, uh, you can actually degrade performance uh, over just humans working with traditional methods. It's well worth a read. Uh, there's a lot of interpretation that can be taken from that. But th those are a couple of the big things, just this notion of seeking the balanced view, acknowledging the jagged frontier, uh, the misunderstandings or misimpressions around the technology are, are pretty significant. And if I had to pick one of those, I, I would say a, the single most important thing I might encourage for executives is recognize that when you're using these consumer-based tools, the hyperscaled tools like ChatGPT or Google Bard, mm. Recognize that those are large applications and this magical new technology is at the center of that model in the middle, you might say, but there's a lot of stuff that goes around these models to render these applications so capable. And so if you are looking at doing similar things on your own networks or in your environment, it's easy to short arm or underestimate the amount of work that needs to go around the model. It's a significant mm. area of, of effort uh, depending on your solution concept and how you want to deploy a model. But those would be some of the highlights for me of the journey over the late spring and the summer. Yeah, Chris, I would add to the misunderstandings, and they, they were pretty substantial, meaning substantial in their type, um, people assuming that um, these large language models like ChatGPT, like BARD, et cetera, were storing documents and they could search for documents or portions of documents, basically use you know these models as a question and answer system. Um, and, and they were also substantial just in terms of the number of executives in the upfront portion of this training who had these mistaken impressions. Um, it was also striking to me, Chris, as we emphasize the limits of this technology, the risk and the unknowns, I would say, you know, we hit the strengths. Uh, you use this metaphor regularly. Hey, there's part of this technology that ought to be Autobahn. You, you ought to smash the pedal to the floor and go as fast as you can in implementing it. There are classes of tasks where you ought to have some bright lines in the road, some double yellow lines, and just be very mindful about how you're going to mitigate the risk. And there's another set of tasks where you ought to erect jersey barriers. You know, you use that metaphor, and we gave them a risk ladder. It, it was interesting to me that, and it wasn't, a large number of people, but it was a strong signal that we got back from some AI executives, quote unquote, that we were really downplaying the capabilities and, and not emphasizing um, enough of the strengths. Um, and that, that's understandable, that's though. And I think with most new technologies, not surprising. Well, I mean, we've lived it uh, through the years and we have a variety of personalities we could conjure up uh, to recollect that. But people who see tremendous potential, but also are really out there on 
what these things can do and we're excited about it. But I mean, the reality is over the course of the summer, there have been some pretty significant research studies that have been rendered that would, for any reasonable minded executive, raise concerns about how you are going to test this and align it to specific tasks and ensure that the quality of it will be good. Um, the whole implementation concept, uh, I, I was startled. There was this one, and I won't recount all the details, but it's a Stanford study looking at one of the big hyperscale model sets. And in three months, there was very significant drift in performance, some of it mm -hmm. negative, some of it quite negative. And if you're an executive looking to integrate this into your enterprise, you've got to be savvy. You just have to be savvy. And it's easy when we use this stuff as consumers day to day, some of us a lot, some of us less so, but we're, we can use it as consumers. Uh, you can get a false impression of your mind on areas of the capability and it's just worthwhile to be careful and excited but careful yeah um, yeah move briskly but don't run yeah yeah uh that's well said well said if this content is of use to you we encourage you to subscribe to our youtube channel and give this episode a like if you're listening to this episode on apple or spotify please take time to give us a five-star rating and if you have a moment, leave us a quick review. You'll find more resources like this podcast and training courses at our site, aileaders.com. Let us know what you think. We value your feedback. So, Chris, to segue then to a second big area of observation, um, and this was kicked off by a conversation you and I had with a senior executive in a global corporation, and this is a global systems corporation. It's not a, a consultancy. It's a very large name brand company. Everybody would know the company. The vast majority of people have experienced their products. Um, and his initial question to us was in the form of, hey, you know, our C-suite executives are excited about ChatGPT. They're excited about generative AI. We've got a bunch of use cases, and that's good. You know, we need use cases to, to move out on projects. But when we think about how our enterprise, our global enterprise, is going to leverage AI, we need to be thinking about more than just large language models. And we really affirm that. and. And we integrated that as a as a major component of the training that we were doing, meaning how do senior executives and leaders think about uh, AI strategy at the enterprise level? Uh, and the the first item that we emphasized was you really need to think about a portfolio of capabilities because you have a range of missions. The in a large enterprise or even in a large program. You've got a range of mission tasks. Um, we taught these executives the, the three kind of clusters of AI modeling types, the foundational machine learning model types, you know, regression, logistic regression, decision tree, the more advanced machine learning, and then the deep learning. We, we use those three as an accessible 
and practical way to communicate the variety of methods that they need to draw upon because they have a variety of mission tasks. And that seemed to be a, a, a conversation that really resonated and was helpful to them as well. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Good journey. Good journey. And with different groups and a lot of variety uh, in, in participants and, and whatnot. So yeah, it was great learning over the summer too. Yeah. The, the one other area in that, in that category, Chris, of AI strategy for the enterprise, again, was prompted by a conversation we had with a senior executive um, in a very large cabinet department. And he asked, what do we think is the department's number one priority for AI? And there was no hesitation on our part, not because of any arrogance, but just you and I thought about this two years ago, at least, uh, in a very deliberate way as we started to write our first book. And, you know, the answer was, and, and the answer strongly resonated with him, the, the department's number one priority at the departmental level has got to be getting AI integrated into major programs. And it's it's fairly stunning. We we gave some data that quantified where that is in industry based on Gartner research and then where it is in in government um, based on some of our own research and, and talking with colleagues. And it it's fairly stunning to me how that has not come in yet to sharp focus uh, for some of the senior leaders in, in government, especially, but also in industry. It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And it's the one that has to get work for enterprise scale. Yeah, I was going to ask you why you would say that, but you <laughs> you answered the question. If if we're going to, it, it was funny, Chris, in, in these workshop environments that we taught in, you know, we would ask the senior executives why, and we wanted them to get to this pretty practical, <clears throat> albeit, <clears throat> excuse me, straightforward understanding that the people in their enterprise, in their operating departments, in their agencies, they're putting their hands on keyboards, on joysticks, on mouses. They're putting their hands on hardware that uh, is powered by software, and those are major system programs. And if you're going to affect users across your enterprise, you've got to get AI integrated into those major system programs. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. So um, that then led us to a discussion, Chris, and maybe kind of wrap up on this point. Um, and, you know, these are three areas of observation um, among several probably dozen that we could give uh, from the full course. But we talked to them about overcoming the headwinds against program integration. And the, you know, the first point is just to recognize what those headwinds are uh, against program integration. Uh, and one of them, and for our community members out there that are data scientists and are upcoming leaders and aspiring leaders, you know, please don't take any offense at this. Uh, we love you guys. You know, we feel like we're part of your tribe. Uh, we're all in the same tribe together. But the reality is 
the majority of data scientists <clears throat> aren't waking up in the morning and thinking about <clears throat> large-scale system architecture. Um, they just, I mean, has that been your experience? You've run a lot of teams. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and, and expected. I mean, a lot of data scientists are not computer scientists or system engineers or system architects. That's not what drew them to the field, and it's not typically what animates them uh, most. Yeah, and so what we were coaching these leaders on is you don't need every data scientist on the team to be thinking about the architecture you're going to integrate into necessarily, but the senior leaders have got to be thinking about that. Even in the concept and experiment phase, uh, we believe that one of the reasons there is this sort of gap between AI experiments and AI getting integrated into major programs is people are not thinking about the architecture that is going to receive uh, the AI experimentation. Uh, you often refer to, uh, in a loving way, refer to data scientists, and especially the best data scientists, as MacGyvers. Um, that reflects a little bit of long and tooth um, on you and I, because not everybody might be familiar with MacGyver. <laughs> but um, it was a great show. Okay, yes, you, you you can get it now, uh, thanks to YouTube. Um, but yeah, innovators, problem solvers, uh, some of the best data scientists, when you ask them, what are they? They won't say data scientists, they'll say problem solver. Um, and that's great, very innovative, very experimental, very agile, uh, but you've got to get the models integrated into production systems. I think the last one I would share there, Chris, um, is the other headwind, and there are several others, but the other headwind we would share for now in addition to architecture is getting the AI capabilities integrated into programs of record. Ah, you're going to, we interrupt this particular point. I'm uh, just let, saying let's it's have a real a MacGyver, thing. Let's have a MacGyver moment here. It's a real thing. MacGyver is a real thing. That's all I'm saying. And yes, you can Google it. <laughs> uh, for those listening, we just had a, a nice picture of MacGyver break in. And I must say, uh, a little bit jealous of the hair there. I'd forgotten about uh, <laughs> that wonderful quaff that he had. Um, but getting these AI experiments moved into programs of record, um, and what was the emphasis, why the emphasis, Chris, for those that might not speak that language on programs of record? Oh, well, bottom line is that's how the government is funded. Uh, that's the bottom line. And there are a small percentage of them that are new every year. So you're largely thinking about introducing AI in the context of programs of record. That's how the government is run. It's how the legislature funds the government. Uh, it's how work is contracted, et cetera. And uh, I'm generally disposed in the negative uh, to people who say, first, Let's change everything in the way that we're going to get AI into the federal government. I'm not a big advocate for that. I think uh, programs and program integration are the blocking and tackling of getting this kind of work done. Can we do it faster? Yes. But you're not going to wave some wand and 
change the entirety of the federal government and programs are how government systems are funded, how government efforts are funded. It's how the Congress interacts with the executive branch. And we just have to think that way in bringing AI into the environment. Yeah. And this is especially one for the senior leaders uh, in, in an AI effort, while at some point in terms of architecture and the technical implications of that, you know, every data scientist is probably going to have some understanding of it because their code has to get moved from a dev environment uh, to a test, to a prod environment, you know, et cetera. But getting integrated into a program of record, um, that is something that the senior leaders have to own. They have to be thinking about that and they've got to take steps to make it happen. We, we've interleaved our courses with just multiple stories, Chris, from both our past, but also stories from the present where we're interacting with people in government and in industry. And it includes things like, you know, one leader who has a, a fabulous AI capability uh, in the national security space has 2000 users globally. Um, it's, it's doing well for those users. They're, they're logged in, they're using it. Uh, it's producing useful insights on data, uh, on an important mission area, but it's not integrated into a program of record. The government leader has funded it. And I resemble this. I did, you know, you will remember when you worked for me. I mean, I did a fair amount of this kind of, you know, robbing money from this person because they hadn't spent their end of year money, begging money from this person, signing under the table deals with, you know, person four, five, and six, you know, to get 50K here, 75K there. And, you know, you've An got... okay way to start something. Yeah. It's not a recipe to sustain it and build something at scale. Really well said. Okay way to start, not a way to sustain and, and sustain something at scale. So those are some of the observations uh, from, as Chris said, you know, north of 500 uh, executives and senior executives, government and industry that we trained. Um, as we wrap here, uh, we would suggest for the LLM uh, and chat GPT related training, uh, you can go to our website, AILeaders.com. There's a free lesson there that you can grab that will kind of give you a sense of the training. Uh, there is an online course there along with several other online courses to help leaders uh, develop themselves in how to integrate AI into big programs and how to deliver results uh, with AI projects and lead the people and lead the technology. So that is it for this episode. Uh, as Chris and I promised, uh, we will be back on a more regular schedule now. And uh, in that schedule, uh, we will have some lessons to share with you on uh, retirement uh, in subsequent episodes. So for now, for everybody out there in our community, we appreciate you. Uh, indeed. Indeed. Indeed.